0: A couple of weeks ago, we had our first look into 1 Peter. If you will uh, look at verse 8, we looked at this truth, whom having seen, ye love, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of verse 7, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. I'd like you to underline that in your Bible or highlight it, if you have a highlighter, joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. This book, this book that we're looking at, First Peter, is the promise of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Again, understanding this in your everyday life. Uh, it, we saw in James together that the whole new quality of life that's shown to us in the book of Hebrews, that it is God's desire that we would have this whole new quality of life in our everyday life. Uh, how little, how little Christianity specifically and especially in America is living a whole new quality of life in their everyday life. And the reason, by the way, that this is true, well, there are two reasons. One, there are a lot of people that go to church who aren't new creatures, they're just not saved. And that you cannot have a whole new quality of life, no matter how hard you try in your own strength. But two, because even though so many of those that assemble in churches on Sunday are actually saved, they still don't understand that it is not their strength that's going to give them this whole new quality of life. It is the Spirit of God. Boy, what a gift the Holy Spirit of God in our lives is, in your heart and life, the power of God within you to make you like our Lord Jesus Christ, a power that I as a pastor, we as a church family, your loving family all around you, none of us are able to impart this to one another. And God understands this. Therefore, he didn't just save us. He came to live within us to change us from the inside out, literally to change everything. And so we see that in the book of James. But because this truth, because of this truth, when you turn the page into 1 Peter, you'll notice in verse 1, it says, Peter, an, the, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers. You might want to circle strangers. He understands, God understands. If you are a follower of Christ, you are strange. You are strange because you're living in a world that wants its own way. Even if it agrees on which direction today, it'll change its mind about which direction tomorrow. And because that's not your life, you are strange. We are strange because of this. But I want you to notice in Verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge. Again, this is such a simple truth. One of the things that, that that people, many Christians have a difficulty with the idea of election. Because they believe that because election is true, that God has elected some to be saved, and God has elected some to not be saved. And that's not the case at all. It says, elect what? According to foreknowledge. So God knows the decisions that you're going to make before you know the decisions that you're going to make. At one point, the Lord Jesus says to the Pharisees, you will not come unto me that you might have life. That's what he says to them, to a group of them, a large group of them standing in one place together, and he says to them, you will not come unto me that you might have life. He does not say to them, you cannot come unto me, that you might might have life. He doesn't say, I don't want you to come unto me that you might have life. That's not what he says because they can if they will. And he does want them to because God is not willing that any should perish. But he says to them, you will not come unto me that you might have life. Now here's a statement that I could never make. I could never make nor would I ever want to make this statement to someone. No matter how bad their life is, no matter what terrible choices they've made, I would never be able to say to anybody honestly, you will not come unto Jesus because I don't know if they will or not. I do not know what their future is, but praise God for the one that does. And so what you need to understand is election is according to foreknowledge. God looked into your future, and He knew either something that has already happened in your life or something that will happen in your life. If you're ever going to receive Christ, He knows it. And by the way, thank God that He knows this. He knows those that are His. He knows where we are in our lives. He knows what's going on in our lives, and He is able to meet us where we are. Now, what I want to do is I want to spend just a couple of minutes together this morning And I want us to see, uh, kind of in a summary way, uh, we looked at at the joy unspeakable and full of glory, and then last week, by the way, we looked at verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We looked at these two, and we looked at this as a blessed beginning, the blessed beginning of this book. Now, what I'd like to do this morning, again, we haven't really begun our study of 1 Peter yet. We'll begin that after the tent meeting. But what I'd like to do this week is help you by showing you, uh, starting uh, all the way through, looking all the way through verse 9, showing you what happens when you're saved, when you're a new creature. It's the same truth that we found, by the way, in the book of James. I want you to think about it this way. What have you really what have you really got? What have you really got? Now, in this passage in chapter 1, God is going to speak twice about gold, actual gold. And he's going to speak of it in in two different ways. I mean, he's going to actually talk about real gold, but he's going to make two statements about truth concerning gold. We're going to look at one of them together this morning. But what God wants you to know, and it's just such a simple thing. If you take this, you know, I have this this holder right here. This holds a pen. I have this holder and God says, what have you really got there? What, what, what is that that you're holding? What is it really? Not what do you think it is, not what do you think it does, but what is it really capable of? What does it actually do? Because what God wants you to know through the reality epistles, which start in the book of Hebrews and run all the way through the book of Jude, what God wants you to know is this, what do you really have? What do you really have? It says, in verse 3, so let's just start here. In verse 3 it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead now we looked last week at this and we saw in john chapter 1 that you cannot become a new creature through being born You cannot be born naturally a new creature. So when you were born, you were born into the lineage of Adam, but you were not born into the lineage of Christ when you were born. Your mother and father gave birth to a little child, as Tim Dryley likes to say, what an adorable little bundle of sin." What an adorable little bundle of sin. Each and every one of us were born sinners. And by the way, we were born sinners, not not that having done any sin yet, but because we were born sinners, we were going to make ourselves manifest as soon as we got the chance. And all you have to do is just go into our nursery and watch your children or grandchildren say, mine, 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 and you will immediately understand, wow, How is it that we are born so what? Selfish. And that is really what sin is. What sin really is, is not doing this wrong or doing that wrong. It is simply insisting that I have my way. That's what sin is. And so you cannot be born of blood, in other words, from your family as a a Christian. And then it says also in John chapter 1, nor of the will of man which means this, I can't make you a Christian. And you. And it says, nor of the will of the flesh, which means you can't make yourself a Christian. It says this after that, but of God. So who can make someone a Christian? And the answer is God alone can make someone a Christian. Now, let me ask you this question. Who does God want to make a Christian? And the answer is everybody, everybody. God wants everyone to receive the forgiveness of their sins, to truly be a new creature, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. Not to become religious, not to begin going to church. These things happen. If you get saved, you do begin to go to church. You do change many things in your life. But listen, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I do believe being a Christian makes you go to church. I think that's true, but but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Being born again makes you a real Christian. So now, so this is what it says right there. So it says, when you are born again, according to His abundant mercy, it is the abundant mercy of God that has made us, that has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope. I am saved and I know it. And I thank God for it. And He has changed my life and He is changing my life. And I have a tremendous hope, a tremendous expectation. But it's not a wishing expectation. It is a living expectation. I live based upon the fact that I know that I have the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't want to. Tr- I don't need to convince you that I have the Lord Jesus as my Savior. I know it because because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. When you're really a new creature, you know you're a new creature, and it does change everything. Heart first. Do you understand what I'm saying? God changes everything. Heart first. Even even much Christian counseling in America has fallen into this trap, and that is change your pattern habits, and it will change your heart. That's not true. That's not true. Have your heart changed, and it will change your pattern habits. And that's what God wants you to understand. Listen, if you continually fail, what God is is saying is this, what you have is not what you think you have. What you have is not what you say you have. Because if you have my son living in your heart, he will give victory in your life. He will conquer sin in your life. You can't conquer sin. We together can't conquer sin. But Christ alone, all by himself, can conquer sin. And he can do so and will do so in you. Praise God. This is what he says. So this being true, you come to verse 4. To an inheritance. If you have been, right, begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then you have an inheritance. Now listen to this. Listen to the description of your inheritance. Boy, I like this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You can't say that about your 401k, all right? I don't know what your savings plan is for retirement, but there is nothing that can guarantee that savings plan. Nothing, nothing. The the bottom of the economy could fall out and the dollar could be absolutely worthless in a week. And no matter how much you've got stored, no matter what form it's in, whether it be land, whether it be gold, whether it be cash, whether it be stocks and bonds, no matter what it is, it could all be absolutely useless and gone just like that, but not your salvation. Not your salvation. I know I've said this many, many times, and, and, and the easiest way to explain this is to go back into my grandmother's house. I picture going into my grandmother's house. My grandmother had this beautiful, um, it was a, a glass cabinet. And, and it, just because it was a glass cabinet, everything in it, it was, and my grandmother was a meticulously clean woman. So it was a perfectly polished glass cabinet, you know, that semi round shape in the front of it. So you can stand, you 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 weren't allowed to touch the doors, right? You stand there and you look and you see all the things inside and all the things inside were made out of a, a, out of a shiny glass of some sort. And so all, and and the, and the, and the shelves were made out of glass. And so there was, it just, it just sparkled, right? Just this beautifully sparkly, all of these beautiful things, none of which could I touch none of which could I touch. This is what God is saying about your inheritance. I want you to understand, listen, this is really important. Too many Christians think that their eternity is based upon what they're going to do now. But that's not what it says. Look what it says. To an inheritance that's incorruptible. What does that mean? It cannot decay. Your inheritance cannot decay. Okay? Incorruptible, and undefiled, which means it has not been touched by anybody. Listen, 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 listen. Um, <laughs> have you seen the bumper sticker on the back of, uh, usually it's on the back of like a mobile home, and it says, spending my children's inheritance, right? Or spending our children's inheritance, right? So, So there is your big, beautiful inheritance, and you're not getting it, okay? Because your parents are defiling it right now. In other words, they're making use of it, they're wearing it out. But our inheritance, if you are a new creature, your inheritance is incorruptible and it's undefiled. It can't fade away and nobody else has ever touched it. Nobody has ever touched your inheritance. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And this goes back to that picture I had before of and that thing, you know, Chuck, you know, there was a, A train set, a train set. I remember a train set when I was young. And it's one of those things where this train set will be yours one day. But you can't play. I I mean, when you're a boy, you want to play with the train set, right? You know what I'm saying? You can look at it, but you... Now, listen, listen, this is important. Some of you kids need to understand this. There's a reason why you're not allowed to play with certain things when you're young. Because you do not know, one, the value of them. Literally, the value of them. And two, you do not know that if you mishandle them, you would ruin them by mishandling them. And what God wants you to understand is, listen, all that he has reserved in heaven for you, he doesn't want you to mess up right now. Listen, listen, how many of you have mastered living? If you've mastered living, please stand up because I'd like you to take over. (laughs) Right? We have not mastered living. Therefore, we surely not have not mastered eternity. Do you understand? So God says that, listen, listen, I want you to understand that if if you are truly born again, no matter how terrible your day is today, everything that's reserved for you will still be reserved for you at the end of today. Everything, everything. You want to know why? Because Jesus purchased it for you. That's why. You did. You had nothing to do with your salvation, and you have nothing to do with your inheritance. Jesus has everything to do with all of it. Therefore, it is okay. Praise God for that. Many of us, all of us know the agony of failure. All of us know the agony of not just one failure, but maybe a week's worth of continual failure, or depression, or difficulty, or anxiety, or anger, whatever it is. All of us are aware of these things, and thank God none of that has anything to do with your eternity because you have a better salvation than that. And this is what God wants you to understand. At the very beginning, he began, if you stopped here, by the way, so let's just say this. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept, you are kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. I mean, honestly, wow. Yes? Yes? Let me let me sign up for that plan. Right there. That's what I want. Please put, please, please keep this document in a safe place. This is what we have. If you're born again, that's what you have. That's it. At the very beginning, right? How can I not have joy unspeakable and full of glory? I, having done nothing good, having done nothing right, were saved by a great Savior. And he says, not only have I saved you, but I have secured your eternity. And I will keep you until it's time to give it to you. Amen? So not only is he keeping your eternity, he's keeping you. Isn't that wonderful? Is that simple or what? That's it. And so it says in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now, i, I got to take that word. You might want to circle it, rejoice. Circle rejoice, and then write in the margin, Baptists don't understand this word. Okay? Baptists don't understand this word. The word rejoice, you can look it up yourself. I'm not lying to you. But you can look it up yourself. But it, what it means literally is to jump for joy. Amen? To jump for joy. And the average Baptist wouldn't jump if you paid them. They would say, oh, no, no, that's that's all fleshly. It's not fleshly. There's a great deal of fleshly worship in America today. But the jump for joy because of your salvation is not a fleshly thing at all. It is a, an appropriate response to how great a salvation you actually have. God wants you to rejoice greatly in so great a salvation that he has given you. But that verse doesn't end there. Verse 6 does not end with jumping for joy. Notice what it says after that. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though. You might want to put two lines under this. Listen, listen. This is not an interruption. This is part of the explanation of your salvation. This is a very important part of what God wants. It's maybe the most important part of what God wants you to lay hold of in the message this morning. Though, now, and you might circle that, right? Now... For a season, and this literally means for a... Listen, hear me, hear me. What's the difference between a season and a year? Anybody want to tell me? What's the difference between a season and a year? Anybody know? Right. A season is part of a year, right? A season is part of the year. Um, New England. New England just went through what's called the... um, Mud season, right? The mud season. What happens is all the snow melts. Everybody's car is the same color in the spring in Vermont, right? Doesn't matter what color it was when you bought it, it is gray in May, okay? Everybody's car is gray in May. Why? Because all of the snow is melting and all of the dirt on the side of the road is coming into the road and every car in front of you is spitting that up on you. And so you have a mixture of salt and mud. This is, by the way, why you never buy a car from the north. Never buy a used car from the north. Why? Why? It's going to fall apart. That's why. Because it has its undercarriage and its overcarriage have all been exposed continually because of the season of mud season over and over and over again to salt and mud over and over and over again. But it's just a season. In just a little while, the summer in New England will be just like this. And it is gorgeous. For for a whole three weeks, it is gorgeous, just like this. And then the leaves will all die, and the snow will come back again. Right? So it's ju- but listen, listen, listen. It's just well, oh, hear me, please hear me. It's just for a season. It's just for a season. It's not for eternity. It's just for a season. Now, by the way, let me let me help you to understand something. When God calls it a season, He wants you to understand that it's not forever. But he also wants you to understand that season actually begins at the moment you were saved. That season begins. It does not end until you leave this earth. Listen, I would love to tell you if you get saved. and, And by the way, you can find churches today. You can go to churches today that will tell you this. They're lying to you, but they will tell you this. That if you'll get saved, your life will be wonderful forever. You'll have a Mercedes in your driveway and a Rolex on your wrist. And the only person that will, by the way, is the preacher who you're giving that money to. He will have a Mercedes in his driveway and he will have a Rolex on his wrist. That, listen, it's called the health and wealth prosperity gospel. And it is not a biblical gospel. It is not a biblical gospel. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. You, you, living in your wicked body in this wicked world are going to have heaviness in your life. And this is what God says, it's just for a season. Listen, this is so important to you. He says, I know who you are and I know what you're going through and I'm going to keep you through this coming season. I'm going to keep you. You're, listen, this is so important. The reason that he brings up our inheritance before he talks about the season is so that you can rejoice even though, even though now you have, let's look at the word. It says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. If you want to circle the word manifold or right in the margin, the word here literally means various or motley. So what this is saying is this, there's going to be, guess what? Guess what? There are not going to be a difficulty in your life. There are going to be motley difficulties in your life. Various and sundry, different kinds of difficulties in your life, and what will, they, what will they provide for you? Here's what they'll provide for you. Heaviness, heaviness. Now, this is a born-again Christian, right? This is a person who's rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and yet we all experience this same heaviness. Why? Because we live here. That's why. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. It isn't that we live here. It's that we live here. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want to know, know who my worst enemy is every day? He looks a lot like me, right? right? He's, he's older and heavier and balder than he was when he's younger. But he still spends an awful lot of time very close to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you live here and we live here, it's heaviness. Listen. This is not what heaven's going to be like. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's the phrase, right? Do you realize that the twinkling of an eye, it doesn't mean in the blinking of an eye. You can blink pretty quickly, but a blinking of the eye is not what it means. Twinkling of the eye literally means in a flash of light. That's what it means. Twinkling of the eye, in the light reflected off an eye. So what it means is this. Listen, this is what's going to happen. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but pretty soon, I believe, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and that literally means at light speed, Instantly, we'll all be changed. Just like that. Praise God. Honestly, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? How many of, honestly, if we could, if we could say this, how many of you would say, if there was a line, we, let's just say we put the line in front of that door right there. You walk through that door, and instantly, everything would change. You would receive your complete inheritance, and you would be with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you get in that line? How many of you think you could be first? I didn't see whether Silas and Liz raised their hand or not. So if they didn't raise their hand, you might have a chance of being first, okay? But if they raised their hand, you're not going to get past them probably. Jeff might be able to knock Silas down. Liz will still get out the door. I don't know. How you, Liz is pretty quick, so she's getting out the door if she wants to. Listen, listen. All of us would, listen, this is so important. We are not here to enjoy our inheritance. We are here to testify that Jesus is the Christ. We are here to enjoy the first fruits of our salvation. The fact that the Holy Ghost lives within us, he has changed us from the inside out, and we rejoice now with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But this is not the end. Oh, thank God this is not the end. The Apostle Paul goes, says so much about this that he goes to a point of saying this. If this were it, we would be of all men what? Most miserable. If Christianity, if eternal Christianity was what temporal Christianity is, wow, I'm not getting on that. You understand? Because it's hard to walk with God in this wicked world. And he says, I know it's hard to walk with me in this wicked world. But I'm telling you, you can have now joy unspeakable and full of glory, and it won't be for very long at all. Just for a season. Just for a season. Now notice what it says right here. The next verse, verse 7. And you need to write this, you do need it matters. These words matter. You need to write this in your margin. It's the word trial. It, the word trial is not as in to prosecute. The word trial he means to prove, to prove. It is the, uh, listen, listen, later, well, actually, just in the, it's later on in this verse. Let me read the verse. Let me just read the verse. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Now, what this is saying is this. Does anybody understand what it means to melt gold and get the impurities out of it? Has anybody ever watched? You should watch a video on it. Uh, Jeremy James. Jeremy, Jeremy and Sharon James, they retired from the military, moved back out to Tennessee. He works for the Department of Energy. Yes, the Department of Energy. But he has a very strange job in the Department of Energy right now. He's responsible for the collecting of precious metals in the Department of Energy and, and recycling them, basically. So part of his job is to see that all of the platinum and gold that have been recovered, are brought into a safe place, then that they are repurified. In other words, they remove all of the things that were added the last time they were being used. In other words, if they were on circuit boards, they just melt the circuit boards and get the gold out of it. So basically, all of the impurities are removed, and then they have pure platinum and gold left over when they're done. And I imagine they measure it and count it very well. Amen? Amen right? Can you, you know, can you imagine every day you're overseeing that kind of a thing? It's like, let me go and see how the gold is doing today, amen? It's like, yes, the gold, oh, we, we had a lot more impurities today than we thought we did. It appears that there wasn't very much gold left when the melting was, but you're walking kind of crooked because your pants are down like this, right? Because gold is a heavy metal. Now listen, understand this. What the Bible is saying is this, God understands that to purify gold... You must remove the impurities and listen, gold will withstand the fire, but the impurities won't. And so what God says is this, if what you have is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have real faith, if what you have God gave you and not the church, if you have the truth then when fire hits it, praise God, it'll last. And if it doesn't, junk it. Get rid of it. Get the better plan. Get the one that comes through Christ alone. Do you understand? Listen, I'm telling I'm going to use. I'm going to use Joe Rundle again this week. Joe Rundle came to Tidewater uh, having been at other churches. Some of you knew him at, more, not just a, uh, a another church, knew him at other churches. He was probably, Joe Rundle's probably what, in his 40s? Is that right? Third, late 30s? I'm, I don't want to insult him. Late 30s? 26. He's 26 years old. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to say he's in his late 30s, maybe close to 40. Master Chief in the Navy. So you know he's not actually 26, okay? So he came here. He came here loving being in church, loving the Word of God, yet he came here just so without any real peace. This is his testimony, not my testimony of him. And he kept seeing, honestly, he came to all the different things that we were doing at the church. He wanted to walk with God. You could just hear it in his voice, and yet he kept saying over and over again, Pastor, I have no real peace. Peace. I have no real power. I have no real victory. You want to know why? Because the fires of trial were in his life, but what he had was not the real thing. And so he was having a terrible time of it. And then guess what happened? He, he, this is what, I'm just going to use his words. My pride, my pride, my pride. My pride have kept me from Christ. My pride has kept me from Christ, and then He humbled Himself, and Jesus saved him, and it changed everything. Listen, it didn't change the trials, but it changed the preciousness of His salvation. In other words, in other words, what He had was the real thing. Then, 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 listen, this is really wonderful. And I know, I know, I said this before. I know, I've said it a couple of times, but you have to hear his wife. I tell you what, a wife's testimony about a husband's salvation says a lot about a husband's salvation or a husband's uh, testimony of a wife's salvation says a lot about their salvation because we live very closely with each other. We know what's really going on. You can come here this morning and put on a plastic smile, and if you do it well enough, I'll believe whatever you say about yourself. Do you understand? Why would I not? But you live with your spouse in your most difficult moments. And this was Eureka's testimony, his, his wife's testimony. Pastor, I thank God for what Jesus has done in his life since we came to Tidewater. Because God had really, listen, had nothing to do with Tidewater. Maybe, I mean, enough because we preach the truth perhaps, but it had everything to do with Jesus changing him, right? So what he had then is this. He had a completely real salvation. Yes? The trials didn't change, but his responses to the trials changed. And this is what God wants to give us in our life. This is Let's read that with that in mind, understanding the difference. If you have an inheritance, then it's great. If you don't really have an inheritance, wouldn't you like to know? Do you understand? If you are not forgiven of your sins, you're going to stand before God in your sins. Wouldn't you rather know whether, whether you have pretensive salvation or genuine salvation? Yes or no? Well, here's the good news. God wants you to know. Whether you want to know today or not, God wants you to know. And so he's going to continue to bring difficulties into your life. Now, in the unsaved person, it's going to manage. Let me say it this way. This may help you. Two years ago, three years ago now, the first tent meeting, right? First tent meeting, near the end of the second week, before we went into the third week, I want you to walk into my house with me. So you walk into the house, you walk into our house, and sitting at our dining room table is my son, Andrew, sitting at the dining room table with his Bible open, sitting at the dining room table. Do you know how many times I had seen my, my he was, how old were you at that point? Do you remember? How old are you now? 20? Two? Okay, how old is Andrew? 22, okay. So he was 19, Right, so he was nineteen years old. All right, nineteen years old, and he's sitting at the dining room table with his Bible open. Do you know how many times I had seen him sitting at the dining room table with his Bible open without me asking him to go get it in his life? Zero. Zero. He's sitting. And listen, he's not just he's not just sitting at the dining room table with his Bible open. He's sitting at the dining room table with his Bible open, turning the pages, continually. And this is what he says: He's reading. He was reading First John. And, he, and this is what he says. He says, Dad, why is the book of 1 John, it's just a couple books from where we are right now, why is the book of 1 John in our Bible? And he knows the answer to this question, right? And I said, that you might know that you have salvation. And this was, his, listen, this was his response. What if you're reading it and you don't know? What if you're reading it and you think it's showing you that you don't have salvation? And I said, then you need to get saved. You understand? couple nights later, in the third week of a two-week tent meeting, praise God, Andrew got saved. What a complete difference it's made in his life. You know, my daughter, Rebecca, is saying this morning, last year, at the last year's tent meeting, meaning Cameron and Rebecca got saved. And many others, too, by the way. What a difference it's made. Ask Cameron what a difference it's made in their lives. What a tremendous thing God has done by making them real new creatures. Amen? This is what God wants you to know. This is the point. God wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory, but He doesn't want you to pretend to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory by the power of God changing you, reserving everything for you, and then proving, Him proving in your life. God sends these things into our lives to prove that He is able. To prove that he is capable, to prove that he is good, to prove that he is powerful, not to prove that you are. By the way, let's just go back to Romans chapter 7 for a moment, right? In case you need a reminder. Go to Romans chapter 7. We'll be done in just a moment. Romans chapter 7. This is a new creature, by the way. Romans chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul, a saved man. In verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Listen, look up here. There are some of you here today who are probably born again, who are continuing to try to serve God in your own strength so that you can bring to God what you have done that's good, and you're failing because God won't let you do it. And thank God He won't let you do it, by the way. God will not let you stand before him in your righteousness. And so you fail every time you try to do it. And he says, listen, I want to show you, I want to teach you, I want you to understand that you are not the author and you are not the finisher of your faith. He is. If you're the author of it, you're in trouble. If I'm the author of it, you're in trouble. If Tidewater's the author of it, you're still in trouble. But if Jesus is the author of it, then he's the finisher of it. Amen? And he, having begun a good work in you, shall what? Shall perform it. He's going to accomplish this. This is what, listen, okay, now turn back. I just want you to see that again. Turn back now and we'll close. 1 Peter chapter 1. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found. This is, Listen, this is what's going to happen. Might be found, so the trial of your faith, so your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, why? Because that's where your faith was anyway. Do you understand? Do you understand? Well, listen, I'm telling you, this is. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. You want to know why? Because I trust Jesus. Do you understand? I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. I don't. You know what? You, you know one of the thing. One of the things that puzzles me is people that talk about Jesus coming so they can they can receive their reward. I don't want my reward. I want His reward. Do you understand? I don't want my reward. I want. His reward. I, listen, all I actually want is Jesus himself. I just want him to come so that I can be with him. And by the way, at that point, my sin won't be there anymore. And praise God for that. So here's, here's the difference. Here's the difference. What he says is this. Trust me. Trust me. I know it's hard. I know you live in a hard place. Listen, and I know you fail. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knows that you fail and will never leave you nor how important do you suppose that is I mean, honestly how do you suppose, listen listen this is not a this is not a License for lasciviousness. This is not to allow, this is just saying, Look, I know that you love me. I know that you're a new creature. I know that the trials that have come into your life have shown you that I'm greater than you thought I was. I understand this, but I know that in the midst of that, you're not going to do this perfectly. I know you're going to fail from time to time. Don't worry. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I won't stop loving you. I won't let it drop. I will keep you, and I will be there to give you your inheritance. And by the way, he is our inheritance. That's what it says. Listen, we just close with this. Might be found. Listen, listen, I want you to picture this. Oh, honestly, thank God for this truth. The trumpet sounds, right? Either you die, I die. The trumpet sounds. Any way we leave here might be found unto praise, praise, praise. Your faith unto praise. Isn't that wonderful? Your faith under praise. God excited about your faith, your faith under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the one that matters at all, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, okay, we'll close with this this morning. The next one says, this is where it says, whom having seen you, you love, who having not seen, excuse me, you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So you trust God, you trust God, and he says this, if you trust me, I got it. If you trust me, I've got it. Now let me ask you this, honestly, do you trust him? Now, this is really an invitation. Do you trust God with your soul? Or are you trusting the church or your good works or anything else? Now, by the way, let me say this. If you trust God plus your good works, you don't trust God. If you trust God plus the church, you don't trust God. Do you trust God for your salvation or not? Do you trust the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary for your salvation or not? If you do, praise God. That faith, That faith will see you through all the trials. That faith, what will prove is that you really trust him. Because what will happen is in all of the difficulties that happen in your life, he will become greater and greater and greater and greater. You will become less and less and less and be happy with it you will decrease he will increase and you will rejoice in that happening in your life you will be glad to know i am so glad to know that i am not the author or finisher of my faith i am so glad to know that it has nothing to do with my ability now again now the, let me just say this and i, I don't want to go on about this one of the things that confuses people is this well if if my works have nothing to do with my salvation then why should my life have good works in it and the answer is because you're a new creature do you understand Because you've been changed, you should love people now. Because Jesus lives in you, the Holy Ghost lives in you, and he loves people. Amen? But it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what God wants us to understand. This is the reality of Christianity. This is what God wants us to see in 1 Peter. And he wants you, listen, boy, I'm going to just close with this. I would love to, I would, honestly, I mean this, honestly, I'd like to go, you know, there's a couple hundred people in here. I'd like to go one at a time and say, do you, do you, are you sure that your salvation is in the blood of Christ and not your works and not this church or any other church? One at a time, one at a time. And I want every one of you, more importantly, God wants every one of you to be sure that you're trusting Jesus and not yourself or me or anything else, amen? And then, listen, once you're sure of that, that you'd be at peace like you're supposed to be. And then he would say to you, okay, look, look, if you trust the blood, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, but I haven't had a very good day. That's okay, the blood had a very good day. Do you understand? Honestly, do you understand? Yeah, but I was not I was not kind to my wife. I feel really bad about it. Well, then repent and be kind to your wife. But guess what? The blood had a very good day today. And the blood will have a very good day tomorrow. And the blood will have a very good day the day after that. Why? Because we were not redeemed. But it's also in this passage. We didn't see it today. We were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, by the way, but with the precious blood. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what it is you're, you're wanting us to see. I thank you for the way you continue to repeat it, book after book after book, very clearly in verse after verse, passage after passage, that you want us to trust you for our salvation, that we would have nothing else in our hearts and minds but the blood of Christ saving us from our sins, that we would know. And Lord, your Holy Spirit is able to tell each and every one of us whether that's true or not. That's the point. Lord, I don't have to persuade anybody one way or the other because you are greater than we are. And you are able to use your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word and work in our hearts individually to reveal whether we trust Christ or not. Lord, may everyone who's here this morning truly trust Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.